Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 14 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Childhood Stolen at Birth, an interview with Zara Tui. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is from the land down under, Zara Tui. Ms. Tui is a young woman from Australia who suffers from chronic Lyme disease. Ms. Tui believes she contracted Lyme disease in vitro. She was diagnosed with Lyme disease when her father, who also suffers from chronic Lyme disease, was in San Francisco for his own Lyme treatment, and his doctors recognized Sarah's Lyme symptoms. Unfortunately, Sarah's Lyme diagnosis was too late to prevent her from losing the ability to participate in dance classes, hang out with friends, or attend school. Sarah was inspired to start a beautiful Instagram, Limelight, to document her life with a chronic illness. Without censors, Zara shares her hospital visits, her fatigue symptoms, her use of acupuncture for pain management, and her hypothermia treatment experience. By sharing elements of her Lyme journey, she reminds others they are not alone, comforts people with chronic diseases with the mantra, for every fall, there is a rise. Zara, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. Thank you for having me. Can you start by describing what your life was like before you started having symptoms from Lyme disease? So I loved dancing. I would dance five days a week, and that was like my whole life. That's what I thought I was going to do with my life. Um, I was a big social butterfly. I really enjoyed being around friends and families and riding my bike and going to the beach. Um, yeah, it was, I loved life, you know. It sounds like you had a beautiful childhood. At what age did you start yeah. beginning to experience Lyme symptoms? I started experience, experiencing symptoms um, basically from birth. Um, it started with I, I had a really terrible stutter when I was about two, and I was always such a restless baby, and like I would go on days, like 13 days, crying, and no one could ever know why I was in such distress. And then I started getting um, more of the classical symptoms when I was about 10 when I started to have really terrible pain in my stomach that no one could diagnose. Um, I was constantly going to hospital for these pains and I would always leave without an answer. They would say that it was um, appendicitis or um, IBS. So they never knew... Like, what the cause of that was um, and I went to so many doctors and no one could diagnose it so they um, brought it down to mental health issues. They thought that it was all in my head which is lots of Lyme patients go through. Unfortunately that is not rare. Uh, many Lyme patients yeah. like myself have been misdiagnosed with various things such as mental health illnesses and brain tumors and other types of things like IBS. So it sounds like when you were 10, you really started to not feel well and started to struggle with seeing your doctors. How did that progress up until you actually found your Lyme diagnosis? Can you talk about that lead up to that and what your diagnosis was like? Yeah. So my symptoms got really bad when I was 13, going into high school in 2014, where um, my body and joint pain was almost unbearable. I was having horrible pressure in my head and I started getting really horrible chest pains and all these symptoms caused me to basically be bedridden and not be able to attend school or anything like that. 
so um, when I was 13, my dad was over in um, San Francisco for treatment of his chronic Lyme disease. And the doctors there saw and diagnosed me with Lyme disease. That was um, very lucky for me. And they tested me with the CDC and I tested back positive for Borrelia, Bartonella and Babesia. So not only were you sick with the Lyme disease bacteria, you had other infections and, and illnesses from the, the tick bite as well from your parents. Yes. Right? So, Zarek, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Do you know if you were bitten by a tick or um, do you believe that the tick bite that either your mother or your father had, um, had suffered uh, was what caused you to uh, contract your Lyme? Yeah. So when I got diagnosed with Lyme disease, um, they originally thought it could be from a tick bite, but um, through further down in my experience with Lyme disease, they brought it down to that it was chronic Lyme disease because I've only been bitten my whole life once by a tick and that's when I was probably about six years old and because my parents but my father was very sick with Lyme disease we knew the symptoms to look out for and the classic things and I went on you know antibiotics which is the typical regime here in Australia because we live in a very tick infested area so um, yeah so, Zara, you, you're, um, you, you feel very confident that uh, you contracted uh, Lyme disease uh, before you were born and not as a consequence of a tick bite. Yeah, because um, the symptoms that I, re- that I had as well, like OCD um, and things like that, and the stomach pains as well, are very classical of someone who had um, gotten it in vitro from birth because um, they are the symptoms that usually show up really early stages of it. Um, And it usually comes in the time of puberty. And that's when my symptoms started to come out when I was 13. And they came out for no reason, not like there was no tick bite around that time. And so the doctors are very confident that I received it from birth. There are many stories like yours, Zara, out there on the Internet, one of them from LymeDisease.org's blog, uh, another, another young, young woman who was diagnosed with Lyme disease, and her doctors believe it to be uh, transmitted at birth as well. And there are more and more studies showing evidence that this is very possible, uh, right, pre-birth, to get, to get Lyme disease from your parents pre-birth. So I think that uh, as time moves on, we'll see more and more evidence and studies uh, suggesting that. Yeah, definitely. I hear a lot of stories of people reaching out to me who have got it from birth with very similar symptoms. So there's no doubt that... that... Zara, you you indicated that you live in a community that is Um, tick-infested. Is the tick problem a big problem in Australia generally, or is it just in the community where you live? Oh, ticks are a huge problem in Australia. Um... The area that I specifically live in, um, there's ticks everywhere. So all of us spray our backyards and we're all very careful about ticks. Um, And 
Australia is a huge issue. Like when I've been overseas receiving treatments, nearly all the people in the waiting rooms are from Australia because we can't receive treatment in Australia because they don't believe that Lyme exists. We have to seek treatment from different countries, like countries that do believe that it exists, which is crazy. But so having this be a, such a big issue with the ticks, it's a bit... Um, hard to believe that they don't they don't believe it exists so in Australia you're saying that they don't believe Lyme disease exists where you live yet you live in a tick infested area and when you go seek treatment outside outside the country you're seeing a bunch of fellow Australians in the waiting room with you seeking treatment outside the country yeah definitely they they believe that Lyme disease is a real thing but they don't believe that we can contract it from Australia they believe if we live in Australia and we have Lyme disease we would have had to got, gotten it from a different country and Understood. Like, you can just walk down the street and if I'm looking unwell I've had people come up to me and say you don't have Lyme disease do you which is crazy because it's you nearly everyone you meet has it or knows someone who has it so it's that common in Australia where everybody seems to know somebody that has been infected by Lyme disease. Yeah, 100%. And it seems like it's almost the same, if not worse, than it is here in the States where the government and all of the, you know, the big, the big uh, research companies really don't believe you can get it from a tick bite in Australia. You can only get it from leaving your, your community and getting in, infected elsewhere, whether it be the States or Europe or, or another community. Yeah, that that's very correct. But the thing that the people of Australia, I think, have the problem with it is if you were to contract something like oh, malaria overseas, they wouldn't come. You wouldn't come back to Australia, and they wouldn't not treat you just because you got it somewhere else. So that's the really tough thing for us to deal with that you know even if we got it somewhere else we are citizens of Australia and they still refuse to treat us and which is crazy <laughs> even though all of us have contracted from Australia I know people who have Lyme disease in Australia who have never left Australia so so Zara what about your parents did either one of them travel out of Australia to a tick uh, infested community prior to your birth no, no, they did not. My father, um, between when my sister and me, so between when my sister was born and when I was born, um, a tree fell on top of him um, and the tree was full of ticks and he got bitten by about 100 ticks. So um, he had like a poison overload in his body because he was bitten by so many ticks. Um, and then shortly after that was when I was conceived because um, there's no information about it in Australia unless you have it. Like, that was the first time they'd heard of it. But luckily, his local GP picked it up because he had heard about it. So he got him tested and then he got treatment. But because I, they believed the he had so much because he, he was bitten by so many ticks and he had such a large infection he he couldn't combat it 
and so then it turns out to be chronic. Yeah, we've heard so many stories there of people who get a late-stage diagnosis of Lyme disease, and we know the odds are much better with an early diagnosis that you can be treated and not have lifelong symptoms. But it just seems here in the States, and even in Australia, it's even worse, that it's very difficult to get diagnosed early on. And once you get a late diagnosis, you're very likely to have chronic, lifelong you know, problems with your health. And that's, that's just such a, a travesty. Yeah. I unfortunately got a late-stage diagnosis because my parents were not um, alerted or did not know that it could be passed down in vitro from birth. So, um, and they didn't know the symptoms or anything. So there was no way that they could have known. So I didn't get diagnosed until I was 13. So that I had it in my system for 13 years. So there is a lot of damage to my nervous system um, as a result. Now, you got diagnosed at 13 years old in San Francisco, and you mentioned that in Australia, even if you, even if you get infected with Lyme disease outside of Australia, they still won't treat you. So now that you got diagnosed and you had to go back home, what was your treatment protocol? How did you get treatment for Lyme knowing that you had it and having all the struggles you have in your, in your home community? Yeah. So... My father was seeing um, a doctor called Dr. Schofel, and he is a Lyme literate doctor in Australia, one of the very, very few Lyme literate doctors, and we're very blessed that he he lives quite close to our house. So um, my father had been seeing him for quite a few years, and um, so when after we got that treatment, we came back, but he wasn't taking any new patients as he already had thousands and thousands of patients, which he had to get better. But he heard my case and how complex it was, so he decided to take me on, which I'm so grateful for. So um, when we got home, I straight away went on the course of um, not like, you know, the typical antibiotics like Bactrim and doxycycline. Um, but I went on them for a short time and, you know, the normal amount of time and then I would get a bit better but then as soon as I would come off the antibiotics I would just get sick again and then we'd go back on and I'd get a little bit better and then I'd get sick again. Um, so after, you know, that is when they brought it down that it was probably chronic as I wasn't getting better from the antibiotics and I'd I was on the antibiotics for a few years, which is a long time. Sarah, I think that's, that's you know, we've heard that from many other, many other guests and people we've spoken to that they go on these oral antibiotics, they go on these combination therapies with different types of antibiotics at the same time, and as soon as yeah. they go off, they feel worse. And they go back on, feel a little bit better. As soon as they go off, they feel worse. And that, that seems yeah. to be a, a pretty common thing among a lot of our guests and then they start to look for alternative treatments because they're on this, this antibiotic treatment for so long and it just has to take such a toll on their bodies that they, they seek alternative treatment. So how did you proceed once you realized the antibiotics weren't working and you weren't getting better and you had chronic Lyme? What were your next steps with your Lyme litter doctor? Um, so we, my pain was getting a real issue at that point. So we decided to go down the route of trying to get that under control as that was my um, my worst symptom. So um, 
we got to the stage where I had to start taking painkillers, which wasn't a path that we wanted to go down as it's not, you know, a great path, but that we really had no other choice because I was in, you know, such agony 24 hours a day. So we went on painkillers and um, different anti-inflammatories to try and get those markers down. And we tried CBD oils and other tinctures, um, but I still wasn't getting better. Um, so they decided in 2017, we decided to travel to Malaysia for hypothermia treatment with Dr. Radzi. Um, hypothermia treatment is a combination of antibiotics along with extreme heat up to 42 degrees Celsius. Um, and that is supposed to kill the Borrelia and the co-infections. Zara, tell us, how did you find Dr. Ratsy and his, um, and his uh, hyperthermia um, treatment? Um, my Lyme literate doctor had been sending a lot of patients there and they were coming back with great results. Like a lot of them were getting a lot better after being sick for lots and lots of years. Um, Dr. Ratsy had never treated someone as young as me so he was a bit sceptical to take me on board. But after having all the tests and making sure I was fit enough to undergo the treatment, um, he decided to take me on, which was, which I was very grateful for. Um, so you, I'm sorry, Zara, can you share with our listeners what that experience was like? How did the protocol proceed and how did you respond to the protocol? So the, it started... Um, we obviously had to travel to Malaysia, which, you know, traveling is very hard for someone who's clinically ill. So that already takes quite a bit out of you. Um, and then, so we got to Malaysia and you have antibiotics um, intravenously for about four to five days. And then after that, you undergo the hypothermia treatment, which is the 42 degree Celsius heat chamber, which... Um, you lie in for about seven hours, I'm pretty sure, and they you go, you get knocked out for that. So they um, they put you on anaesthetic, and while you're um, in the heat chamber, they are giving you antibiotics intravenously, and so the combination between the antibiotics and the heat is meant to kind of bombard the infection and kill it. So then after that, you have to recover because it takes a big toll on your body and then after that you have IV antibiotics again for about another seven days and then you have to return um, back to your home country and then you wait about two months um, and those two months are very terrible. I was I was very ill. I couldn't walk. I was vomiting every day, all day. And you you feel terrible, worse than you went because that infection is dying and it comes out in terrible ways. So then after the two months, you have to return back and do it all again. And some patients only go once, but he thought two would be... Um, the right amount to kill my um, specific infection. So we did it all again and we came back home and I was very ill. I took me months and months and months to recover from this or get back to the stage I was before we 
decided to travel over there. Sarah, so you, it took you months to get back to the point of where you felt before getting this, this heat treatment and, um, you know, combined with antibiotics. Can you, I'd like to know when you, when you woke up after the first treatment and you woke up from that sedated, um, you know, from a sedated uh, point, how did you feel when you woke up? What were your thoughts? How did you feel? I'm curious what that was like. It was it was a very weird feeling, definitely. Um, you felt really hot and you vomit a lot because your body's been through a very traumatic thing. But after the first um, time, I actually got very sick. I my blood rate dropped, my heart pressure, sorry, dropped to about forty, and I went unconscious and they um, didn't know how to bring me back. So they um, put me on blood pressure medication, um, which brought me back too. But I ended up having an allergic reaction to that blood pressure medication, which we never knew I was allergic to. And so that also put a big dent in the road of that um, experience because I got very sick from that as well. And... So there was lots of vomiting and um, things like that. And it, it takes you about three days until you can get out of bed into a wheelchair to continue the antibiotic treatment. So let's fast forward. So a few months after your, your last and second treatment, you were finally back to where you were before. Let's, can you talk a little bit about what it was like after those couple of months and how you progressed from that point forward? So after we got home and it took a couple of months to get better, um, they was wondering what to do because I wasn't perking back quite like some of the other patients because um, I was kind of back to that same place. So we kind of went, went along with the normal treatments, kept up my supplements, um, things like that. Um, you had to be on antibiotics as well when you got home. So I just finished that third course of antibiotics and um, we were on drugs to try and manage the inflammation and the pain um, and we started doing IVIG to try and bring my fatigue levels um, to a good point and the IVIG did really help to um, my fatigue at, in the time but um, in the long run, it didn't make quite a big effect. Um, we were doing CBD oil, physio, um, water um, therapy. We tried lots of things just to try and wait for the infection to die off. Um, and then about three months after we got back, we um, did another blood test with the CDC and it came back negative for Lyme disease um, which was which was a good good news that it had come back negative so they were very sure that they had killed the bug but what my doctor um, mainly sees in his practice is a lot of patients with what's called post Lyme syndrome so your body still has all the symptoms and the damage of Lyme disease, but you don't have an active infection. The uh, physio, that's, that's physical therapy, right? Yeah. 
Did you find physical therapy to be helpful to uh, curb some of the pain that you were having? Yeah, 100%. I've got a great physio. Um, I go once a week to see him, and he um, he does release therapy because a lot of blind patients have a lot of built-up tension. Um, he does releases like um, um, manipulation and cracking. He also does um, acupuncture, which has been a very useful tool in um, combating the tension and a bit of the inflammation, definitely. So, Sarah, how far out are you from the last uh, treatment that you had, the last hypothermia treatment you had? I probably... I went to Malaysia in 2017, so about two two years ago, two, nearly three years ago, because it was very early 2017. So how, how has your um, health improved between the time you returned from Malaysia and today? Um, a lot of the muscle and joint pain has gotten a bit better, um, and the fatigue has gotten better. Um, but, you know, the symptoms really switch and change all the time, and it has definitely um, developed very differently over the from when I got back from Malaysia to now. Um, we had hopes that it would have worked a bit better than it did, but we do think it was a vital step in um, healing from the Lyme disease. So if you could turn back time, you would make that same decision again. You feel that that was a worthwhile effort to go through that treatment? Yes. Um, yeah, I would say so, yeah, because it, it it did help. I don't think there would have been anything else that would have killed the bug um, because now we can deal with the damage that I have left instead of trying to combat the damage and an active infection. So I do think it was very worthwhile going over there. I mean, I could have had this hypothermia treatment in Australia but they refuse to give it to people who have Lyme disease because they don't believe it exists. But they are more than happy to give it to athletes who have, you know, broken their leg or something like that, you know, but they won't give it to critically ill patients, which is a bit ridiculous. So, Zara, why, why do you think Australia is so hesitant, or the medical community in Australia is so hesitant to acknowledge the existence of Lyme disease? Well... As you guys probably know, it costs the government a lot of money to do the research for Lyme disease. Um, so I think that's a part of it. And because once they open that door to saying that exists, they can't close close the door again. So, I mean, it's becoming a big epidemic. And they're going to get to a point where they can't keep dis dismissing it and now they're even getting to the point where they're taking licenses away from um, practicing doctors who are um, practicing Lyme disease treatment and things like that which is just terrible. <laughs> Sarah, that's, that's actually very consistent with what happened here in the States you know I'd say you know 10 20 years ago where we live it was there now even now it's happening um, and it started probably 20 30 years ago actually with a very popular doctor out east here in New York, 
and he kept treating Lyme disease patients because he knew it was the right thing to do, and he almost lost yeah. his license. He had it suspended. He was reviewed by the medical board numerous times, and now he's a, a, a really popular figure in the Lyme community here because he just kept pushing and researching and treating because he really cared about his patients. So, um, we, you know, we could totally relate. And in Australia, Zara, do you, does your government, I mean, we know they don't recognize Lyme, but do they provide any assistance or disability services to people with chronic Lyme or chronic illnesses like Lyme? No, they, they definitely do not. They don't see it as a disability. They don't even see it as a disease. They see it as if you don't get better after that, you know, three or four weeks on antibiotics, then it's not Lyme disease. Or if it's Lyme disease, you didn't contract it here, so it's not our problem, which is crazy. So, Zara, one of the things that inspired us um, to uh, follow you and to invite you on the podcast is that you've not taken uh, your government's and your medical community's uh, decision lying down. Um, you've created um, a beautiful Instagram page where you are, uh, I guess, Instagram, right? You're supposed to say page, a beautiful Instagram where you are reaching out um, on behalf of um, the uh, chronic Lyme sufferers and you're connecting with um, and supporting chronic Lyme sufferers. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your decision to do that? Yeah. So I was, um, well, being bedridden, you do have a lot of time on your hands. And I was um, scrolling through Instagram and I saw lots of accounts, but a lot of them were American. And um, I thought, oh, it would be such a good idea and a good way to connect with other people and to help people because a lot of people with Lyme disease are not in my position where someone in their family has Lyme disease. So, you know, I have that person who I can go to who understands and who can help me and give me advice, but lots of people don't have that. Um, And then I also thought it would be a great way for me to look back and you know, see how far I've come or kind of document um, sort of like a diary what's been going on. But I kind of didn't suspect that anyone would follow me, really. I just thought it would be kind of a little project for me to do in bed. But um, then I started getting people reaching out from all of Australia and America who their kids had been diagnosed with Lyme disease from in vitro and people um, wanting help, like, asking about their children, which has been really great. Um, I've been able to help um, four kids get diagnosed with Lyme disease, um, an early diagnosis. And I've been able to help two girls from my um, local community get an early diagnosis, and one of them has already bounced back and is back in school, which is really, which is really fulfilling. Hey, man, that's, that's beautiful, Zara, that uh, you've been able to turn your challenges into, um, into a way of serving other people, and we really admire you for doing that. So, Sarah, what advice Thank do you, you have for folks um, who um, have been diagnosed with Lyme disease? I would just say, you know, there is hope for a lot of people, and, you know, you're not alone, and, you know, it's okay to come to terms with what's going on and that's you know a big part is grieving the old life you know what what has happened to you and because it's a lot of it's a lot of emotional stuff as well because it does take a big toll and your life gets stolen from you basically <laughs> so I 
you know, that's what I would say. Well, thank you, Sarah. This, this has been an inspirational interview for both uh, me, Matt, and all of our listeners, and we are really blessed to have you share your experience with us. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Zara Tui, please visit her Instagram, lime underscore underscore life. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast interview with Zara Tui, please share it with your friends by using the social media button at the bottom of the post. Third, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, to get the automatic episodes updates for the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave an honest review and ratings on iTunes. This is a new effort on our part, and we could really use your help. We'd like to produce a podcast that you'd like to listen to, and we make a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.